You're listening to the best of Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. The Fan. You know, the reality about the state of Indiana basketball is the fact that Indiana has lost three straight and its season is teetering in the balance. And as my friend Greg Poley points out, Mike Woodson is starting to sound with each and every game, not like Tone Loke, but more like Frank Reich. And... There was a time in the city of Indianapolis where Indiana's futility in basketball would have been topics A, B, C, and D, but they still now. <laughs> if you don't mind me saying so, that was one of my greater that brain was. dropping spontaneously mm-hmm. ever, right? I have um, to admit, I never. It was one of the rare moments then... of Jake trying to be serious, and Mark just <laughs> drops that in there. <laughs> uh, but at any rate, we will talk about Indiana basketball. But the topic still, even with Indiana struggling. I think the fan base is just like, oh, here we go again. And so we shift back to the other team that is struggling, which is the Colts, because, you know, this is a big week for them in terms of the coaching search, Kevin. Yeah, and again, they um, interviewed their first candidate yesterday. Reportedly, interviews coming up Friday and Saturday. We'll get to those names in just a second. But something I was thinking about in the last kind of 36 hours and debriefing the Chris Ballard presser, Jake, is this. Ballard used the word stubborn to describe himself when it comes to his roster plan, his roster construction, his philosophy, and how you build a team. Positional value doesn't really matter in his eyes. You know, he's adamant about the trenches. Um, He's going to pay guys that, no matter what position that they play. And it's probably unfair to use the word stubborn with Kevin Pritchard, Jake, but... I think Kevin Pritchard would even admit that the Pacers probably held on to a roster-building approach that they eventually realized was a bit outdated in believing that Sabonis and Turner would work. And they held on to that group and a little bit more of an aging group, not the most athletic bunch. And eventually, and honestly, probably this time last year, that's where Kevin Pritchard, Chad Buchanan, and those people over there said, enough is enough. We've got to do something different. And is this that moment for Chris Ballard? Is this that moment where enough is enough? And obviously, Kevin Pritchard has turned this ship around, and it's a totally new-look roster. It's a new skill set group. Um, I think, clearly, if you don't hit in the draft particularly in the NBA when you're a small market team. You've got no chance. They've gotten several hits in the draft over the last couple of cycles. And now all of a sudden the Pacers are in a position where you feel really good about things moving forward. So if you want to look glass half full, has Chris Ballard had the look in the mirror moment? Has he had that to where, all right, what I'm doing, the results, you can't argue with them. And we just hit rock bottom, arguably, and going 4-12-1. and Maybe that's giving Chris Bauer too much of the benefit of the doubt, but, and, and to be fair, I'll probably believe it when I see it, <laughs> that he's going to change. Right. But you know what, Jake? I probably said something about Kevin Pritchard very similar this time last year, and Kevin Pritchard has completely shifted things, and a major credit to him for doing that. Will Chris Bauer do it? You know, it's a great point, because it did feel like with Pritchard that he was teetering on I don't know that his job was in jeopardy but certainly the franchise itself was teetering on just being kind of an afterthought to most people right and I mean they they just 
Kevin Pritchard grabbed a hold of that wheel and took control of it and, and took the narrative right back and, and got them going at the fork in the road in the right direction. And I don't know with Chris Ballard. I mean, certainly it can be repaired for him. But the problem I think that Chris Ballard runs into, Kevin, is that because they have had basically two years in a row of the same quicksand of futility, now to get out of that, it takes a longer rebuild in the NFL. I know that the NFL is set up for... You know, the NFL is set up for teams to be able to go from worst to first, right? I mean, the way this, the schedule's done, certainly schedule next year's schedule is favorable in, in terms of the opponents, at least seemingly on paper. But if you are starting over with a brand new quarterback, especially a young one that's got to learn on the job, then you're kind of getting yourself right back to square one here, right? You know, obviously Kevin Pritchard's big move in starting all of this was trading DeMontis Sabonis for Tyrese Halliburton. And I I get there other pieces thrown into that trade, obviously Buddy Heald being a huge part of it. But Jake, you just can't do that in the NFL. Like You can't trade Shaquille Leonard tomorrow for your quarterback of the future. (laughs) <laughs> it's just not how that that league operates. Um, so that yeah, Ballard is in a much more difficult situation. He's deeper into his belief. I, I think in the back of Kevin Pritchard's mind, I think he always knew. Boy, I really hope this works out. I'm not totally confident in it, but we've kind of built it like this. We've got no other choice. We've got to hold on to it as long as we can. And the injuries to TJ Warren and Malcolm Brogdon and Karis Levert, I think all of those probably contributed to a final of like, all right. Enough is enough. We've got to do something differently. Uh, again, Bubba Ventrone interviews with the Colts yesterday. That is a special teams coordinator, 40 years old. Bubba Ventrone came over from New England to join Frank Reich's staff in 2018. Bill Belichick, extremely high on Bubba. Um, that is the first head coaching interview for the Colts. Reportedly, Jake, tomorrow's Raheem Morris mentioned this yesterday and talking to someone who's coaching the NFL for multiple decades, said they have not been around a person that combines great human and great coach more than Morris. Says players love him. Jalen Ramsey, one of the more volatile players in the NFL, just literally stands on top of a mountain to praise Raheem Morris for what he's done for him with the Rams. Um, So that is reportedly for tomorrow. And then Saturday, Shane Steichen. That is the offensive coordinator from Philly. That's a newer name that seems to have come about. Or am I wrong there? He he was in the original four. We kind of got those four announced on day one. Um, Steichen, I I would say, is somewhat new, Jake, to like this process. I I, mean, Raheem Morris' name has been thrown around before Steichen. I guess I was so focused on like... In the beginning, you know, first off, the once I got over the shock of not one but two Lions coordinators, and then my mind just kept going to Harbaugh, who, you know, we know did like a Zoom interview, wasn't it, with Carolina, I believe, and, and he still, if you look at, and, and who knows what to make of these kinds of things, but if you look at like the Vegas odds, they still list, at least as of yesterday, this time yesterday, listed Indianapolis as the highest odds for where Harbaugh would coach next year, if not Michigan. Yeah, again, the Harbaugh thing is just so odd and weird to me. I'm like, how much of this is agent-driven? You know, just wanting more money? I mean, Mel Tucker makes more than Jim Harbaugh. Right. Jim Harbaugh deserves more money at the college level. Um, and again, you just had the mixed messaging with this press release from last week and... Yeah, I, I'm very 
So I, I get Harbaugh's resume, but I don't know if I'm one that is like, Harbaugh comes here, cures all, and the Colts are going to be on this decade-long run. Right. I, I don't know if I'm there. The other problem with, with Harbaugh, Harbaugh, the other challenge with Harbaugh, let me say that. I wouldn't say problem, but challenge, that I think you have to consider. I recall, for example, when Rick Carlisle was an assistant with the Pacers, and Larry Bird left, and there was thought that Rick Carlisle would become the head coach. But the Pacers brass told Rick Carlisle, listen, this is not the best situation for you because we are about to go into a rebuild, and for you, if you want to be long-term a coach in the NBA, we would be doing you a disservice putting you in this position because... We're going to be rebuilding, which means the first year or two, the head coach is going to take a lot of heat because we're not going to win a lot of games. And as a an unknown or unproven commodity, now ironically, Isaiah Thomas is, I think, where they went, but um, it would hurt you long term because it would stain your career right off the box in wins and losses. Hmm. So timing was an important aspect of analyzing who to put in in that situation. For Harbaugh, if you're coming in and you're doing not a rebuild with the Colts, but a retool, but theoretically with a rebuild at the quarterback position, then Kevin, what you're doing, and I always believe this, when you are drafting a quarterback and and, utilize, and growing that and watering that seed, then you are looking at two to three years before you're able to say that you now are on all cylinders. And I think Jim Harbaugh is a three to four year coach. Because I just think that he is a darn good coach and a likable guy, but a quirky personality that has a shelf life of like four-year max for players. That's why he's a good college coach. Right. Because at four years, you're yeah. like, okay, this guy's, burn him. Right, this guy's goofy, right? Yeah, I just... Uh, the timing I, for me for Harbaugh would be of question is what I'm Does anything about. worry you that he hasn't been in the NFL in a decade? Also fair, I don't know that the NFL has changed that right, much, right? Right, right, right. Because you are correct, though, in, you know, it's a different NFL than it was, say, probably, you know, like Jim Mora, if he was a younger man. I, You know, Jim Mora coached in kind of a different era of the NFL. And again, what he did with Alex Smith and Colin Kaepernick. I mean, it's not like those are all Correct. pro quarterbacks. Darn impressive there. Um, a little bit more on Steichen coming up here on Saturday, Jake, that interview. Again, Nick Sirianni, Frank Wright coaching tree. Eagles offensive coordinator. He's called the plays. Sirianni stopped calling plays like midway through his first year. Steichen's been the guy there calling the plays. Uh, extremely close with Phillip Rivers. Again, came from San Diego with Rivers. These are the three quarterbacks Shane Steichen has mainly worked with. Philip Rivers, Justin Herbert, Jalen Hurts. If you have a prerequisite on the list of we need someone with a quarterback background, those are three very different styles, very different ages. That's a background that would be enticing to that. I do think something to keep in mind with the offensive head coach. Again, that is the appeal, pairing up the young quarterback with the offensive mind. I thought an issue for Frank Reich, Jake, was he was too invested in the offense and didn't. I think at times he forgot he was the head coach of the football team. I think that's fair, and I think you see that a lot, right? When you have coaches that that are coming from 
do you? Re- I recall when when Tony Dungy first came here, people thought that at times the offense was too conservative because Dungy was focusing too much on the defense, et cetera, et cetera. Right? You, even if it's not true, and even if it's not taking place, there always becomes that stigma when you have a coach that was previously a coordinator and now was the head coach that they are focusing on too much on one side of the ball. By the so, way, that's a nice shirt you have on today. Well, yeah, I thought the. Fisher's and kids. I should probably. My, my, my mom used to teach at Fisher's. Is it and, wool? You know, is it wool? Is it linen? No. What, what I, I I would say I'll let you look at the tag during the break, but that, that could create an <laughs> image for our listeners that might be a little bit awkward. <laughs> oh, this is awkward on that front here. Actually, I was doing some math during the break because you already have, I guess, said I'm paying for the PBR keg. So I've been doing the math how we can break down. How much is a keg of PBR? You think? Ma- uh, eighty nine dollars. What? What six, was that? Six dollars? Mark. <laughs> I love PBR. But well, that's... Uh, not based off that answer. Yeah, it's nice and cheap and it's good. Should I be worried about 30 wins? Does a Halliburton injury worry me? I think it's a little early. Seven and 30. That. They got to go eight and 34 in their last. Seven, right? Don't they have 23? Well, they have to. So they don't have to go over 30. At least 30. 30 or more. Okay. I think you're fine for now. I know yeah, we're in okay. this, like. I, I, that just. I don't know. If you get the early margin, still bucks. Like 26 wins, then maybe get, get worried. It Kevin, looked awkward last night, Halburn going down. A keg of PBR is $105. That's without the tap. Do we need a tap? I mean, you're going to look at it otherwise. Well, I mean, do you have a tap? Hey, we can get this open. <laughs> we don't need a tap. We got we got a huge oh, bottle yeah. opener over here. Right. I use this to get my you know canned carrots. I got this hacksaw. Give me like ten minutes. Now, now where you, where is the party again? Well, that's uh, also to be determined. Uh, do you need an ice tub for your keg? Oh, oh no, we're good there. Gone. Yeah, just put a put a cold. Yeah, we just stick it outside in this weather. That's a good point. We'll be good. That's a good point. You can't query. I'm Kevin Bowen. Mark Dykton across the way. Is it stopped raining, Jake? Stand by. It was raining a good amount on our commute in this morning. Again, some school delays a little bit Say out. It looks like slight dri- uh, drizzle. The word that I made up, by the way, back when sniglets were a thing, a made-up query word, it oh, is God. frustrating. Do you know what frustrating is? Hold on, I haven't even defined it. I don't, I don't, no, I don't need, need you to frustrating define it. We're already is, over. Frustrating is when there is a slight amount of precipitation, but not quite enough to use your windshield wipers, or else it makes things worse. That's very frustrating. It was legit raining on the commute in this morning, so just keep an eye on that again. Do you know what an ice scapee is? Some school delays a little bit outside of Marion County, kind of on the outskirts Mark? of the Donut Counties. I'd love to stick with this topic. You know what I need to do break break. It's the one cube that gets out of the freezer as soon as you open it. There's the one ice scapee that falls out. You know what we got to do with the break? What's that? Hit it. <laughs> Fair enough. Will this be a play to the PBR party? Oh, absolutely. By the way, we have a um, an unnamed, and I, I want to be clear here because they asked to be anonymous. Okay. Uh, we have an unnamed, shall I say donor, I guess, that has offered to um, offer up a pizza and dining establishment that could host our PBR party. Let's go! Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, must be 21, by the way. Uh, to be fair, donors probably sound, it sounds too high and mighty for us. Yeah, donor, well, and that, there may be a price tag. I don't know. I, that, that has yet to be confirmed. Well, you guys have already eaten into half of my potential winnings here coming up. Do I need cross reference with my wife on this? 
Pacers get to 30. Oh, yeah, yeah, but all that money, that was promising. It's actually going to go to a PBR keg. I get three of them. <laughs> You've earned it after that season if you have to sweat out Again, 30 wins. this all came about because this morning, uh, just before we get to Scott Agnes here, I will tell you that this morning I got the following text um, from very early this morning, and I thought it was absolutely fantastic, uh, that simply said, hey, Jake, you know, what I want to know here is as the unofficial, I'm trying to find the, the text here. I didn't plan this out very well, did I? Um, okay. The unofficial but official Pacers fan association has concluded that Kevin's windfall from his Pacers 30-plus win bet must fund the not-so-imaginary PBR party hosted by the homie JQ at whatever not-so-imaginary venue JQ chooses. This is homie official. JQ. Signed the unofficial but official president of the Kevin and Clary Pacer fan 30-plus win windfall bet PBR party association, Percy. There we go. I love that. <laughs> Percy? Percy's his name? Yeah, Percy, Percy Harvin? Uh, let's see. Let me find the last name on Percy. Uh, but Percy, again, and, I, and I've named him treasurer as well. He's not just president, no, perfect. but he's treasurer as well because he's going to oversee, obviously, the money. Uh, Percy Bland. Certainly getting an invite to the party would be Jake's fellow North Central Panther. That would be Scott Agnes. He is with us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Scott, we've talked, unfortunately, a lot about injuries. It's not something we've done a lot this season, but probably after a game, I would say last night's the most. There's been injury conversation for the Pacers this year. Um, anything further you can add on Miles Turner and or Tyrese Halliburton? Yeah, nothing. Tyrese obviously leaving the arena in crutches. His left knee, same knee he did have it years ago, so I was tracking that. And then with Miles Turner, just kind of back spasms that popped up. Claire or right after the Scott, we're gonna we're gonna reset with you because you're giving us some good info and and you were cutting in and out a little bit there. Did you catch that left knee a few years ago for Halliburton? I the well, let's let's set for this for those that didn't see it. He 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 kind of landed awkwardly and it was not just the knee but kind of his like his elbow wrist right in the way he landed. He stepped, but it was he got stepped on his right foot by Josh Hartenstein who's huge. And like you said, Jake, he landed, I'd say, more on the left side. And it was a hard, awkward, twisting fall. Uh, his shoe came off. He kind of limped to the locker room. And then, as Rick Carlisle said afterwards, left on crutches. Scott, thanks for um, getting back with us. Okay, you said Halliburton had a left knee issue a few years ago? Yeah, I was just saying, same knee as he had a, a bone bruise hyperextension to that same knee a couple of years ago. Um, and then, as you said, left the arena on crutches, and he'll learn more here today. The team is not practicing, and I'm sure all the focus will be on, on Halliburton and the other injuries. Miles, back issues in his career, I, I obviously the foot stuff the last couple of years, anything back-related for him? Not that I could remember off the top of my head. Um, no, he, he usually has more exterior, meaning uh, foot, ankle, hand, um, off the top of my head. So that that one surprised me a great deal. I asked this question to Jake earlier, and I know we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit, but you know, considering how it looked, considering Rick Carlisle said, we hope it's not serious, if Halliburton is going to miss an extended period of time, four weeks from today is the trade deadline, should that influence what the Pacers do at all? 
perhaps a little bit, yeah. But I think the main thing, again, is just the big picture. And it's what you like about this group moving forward. Uh, I thought it was interesting post-game last night. Rick said um, something to the effect of, we're trying to do something very difficult here. That's develop young players and continue to win. So I thought that kind of answered a question a lot of people may have had, um, you know, about you know the team's goals or anything like that about what they're trying to get accomplished here. And they're trying to win, and at the same time they've they've set a culture. Now they're trying to keep that culture uh, and have fun doing it. And so um, I, I think ultimately it just comes down to what offers are out there. And then again, the, the big miles question is how much would it cost to keep them here. Scott, in your opinion, like let's say Tyrese Halliburton misses extended time. Give me the two guys that we mentioned earlier, Swiss Army Knives, that are kind of Swiss Army Knives for Indiana that can slide over and play different roles or move around a little bit uh, that kind of can fill the void. Nobody fills the void of Tyrese Halliburton, but guys that would help soften the blow because of their versatility. Well, yeah, the good news is they have a lot of depth in the backcourt, almost too much. That's kind of been the problem of trying to feed everyone. Um, The number one guy would obviously be Andrew Nemhard. He's kind of done it all, mostly in a defensive role and a secondary guard off the ball role, but he could certainly take on more of the minutes. We saw last night Andrew and T.J. McConnell uh, each playing the entire fourth quarter. So there's somewhat of a hit. Right there. And then on top of that, I think you'd hope Dorte gets back into it. Um, he could handle some. Matherin, uh, we haven't really seen him handle the ball, but that's another guy that could see his minutes potentially go up. So they do have the depth in the backcourt. Yeah, I was saying to Jake earlier, I just think for short-term and long-term, it makes the most sense to me to play Nemhart at point guard. It keeps McConnell with that second unit, which clearly is something like Rick likes to keep those units together and then obviously you help Nemhard grow with that starting group as a point guard which is what he was at Gonzaga. Scott Agnes is with us from Fieldhouse Files here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. To that point you were making earlier Scott about Rick's comments post game finding the balance between trying to grow and develop and also win. It was odd to me that James Johnson started. Like when I saw the Isaiah Jackson or excuse me when I saw the Miles Turner news I'm thinking oh it's going to be a good opportunity for Isaiah Jackson or Jalen Smith to start and play extended minutes. And instead, first time down the floor, it's James Johnson not only starting, but the dude's taking the first shot of the game. Yeah, so here's what I, I'm, I'm feeling from that. I don't know for sure because I obviously wasn't there and talking with Rick. For one, Jalen was already uh, going to start because Aaron Neesmith was out. So they were going to go back to their previous starting lineup with two bigs, Jalen and Miles. That was the original starting lineup. Got it. Then then Miles is unable to play because of back spasms. And I think this is, let's have as little disruption as we can. Um, So let's, meaning to your previous point of keeping rotations the same. Um, and I think that's what that was about. It didn't work out. I, I was not a fan either. I probably would have slotted in Matherin um, just because uh, the scoring, and, and they've had success with this four-guard lineup really ever since the last time they played the Knicks a couple or three, four weeks ago here. Um, so that's what I was expecting, um, and it's clear they, they moved on from that and then also did some different things 
defensively, schematically in that second half, and Johnson didn't re- return to the floor. Scott, there was a time, Scott Agnes from Fieldhouse Files is our guest on the Payless Liquors Hotline. There was a time, probably two years ago, and I think you and I have talked about it, where of all people, Goga had some trade value around the league, I think because of the intrigue about him. He hasn't necessarily diminished that value because I don't know how many opportunities he's really gotten, and you know he's serviceable when he's out there. In terms of like if they wanted to add a second round pick or just free things up, does he have any value you think at all? I, I don't know. I don't think so. It, mainly because he's an expiring contract. Um, that's what, to your point, over the last couple of years, that's where his value would have actually decreased because you would not have had him on a rookie deal and in that early control. So his yeah, he'll be in, he's in a contract year like Miles um, and is firmly out of the rotation. I'm not sure you could get a can of PBR for him, to be honest with you, Jake. Um, I, I I don't disagree, Kevin, but, like, I mean, there was – Scott might disagree with me here, but, I mean, I talked to somebody, and it might have been two years ago, that said that of the players on the roster, he was one that people had an intrigue about. I think just because they didn't know exactly – you know, he was an unknown commodity. Yeah, I mean, I get the European guys takes a little bit longer, right. but – yeah, uh, Scott Agnes with us, Fieldhouse Files. Scott, it's the first time we've talked with you since the Mark Stein news from over the weekend, and that was, and feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but basically that the Miles Turner camp has turned down the initial contract extension from the Pacers. And again, I don't know if I have that language 100% right, but uh, we've got a month or four weeks from today, the uh, NBA trade deadline. What did you make, if anything, of that news? Yeah, one last thing, too, on, on Goga, um, just with all of that. I think he's a guy that needs 20-plus minutes per game. And so that's that's the big thing here. And if you're a team that can offer that, then, yeah, something would interest me with, with Goga and giving him an opportunity. Um, in terms of Miles, uh, in this contract extension, renegotiation, does something come out of it? Um, I, I've not heard directly what Mark, Mark had. Um, I don't doubt it by any means. I can just tell you, one, it's a little far out. Uh, you're about a month out here, and so generally things don't happen right now. Uh, it's, and that's why I laughed after the game last night. Rick Carlisle was saying, hey, you know, some of you, you know, I know, I guess Twitter was a buzz with people thinking Miles got traded because he's not playing. I'm sitting there thinking, that didn't even actually cross my mind, but he's right, probably. Like, um, but it's early January. Those things generally don't happen for another month. Um, where we're at right now, I'm not exactly sure. I, I, I think it's good, though, if the two sides are able to start having discussions. Um, whether there was a formal offer made and a formal rejection, I don't know. Which do you think is stronger? The Pacers' intent to keep Miles Turner or Miles Turner's openness to staying in Indiana? I would say the Pacers willing to keep Miles. Um, And I say that just because of all the different things I've listed previously about Miles, his situation, him wanting, uh, like any player, to maximize his contract value uh, in terms of just being his probably last big contract that he'll be able to sign. Uh, And then... I will say, though, Miles' loyalty to the city and the franchise has not wavered. He's, there's just that factor that this is the first time in his career 
where he could have the opportunity to pick any franchise to sign with. And so you have to consider that opportunity. Scott, I enjoyed a piece you had up on Fieldhouse Files. You talked to um, a scout from around the league and kind of gave a little bit of a a, a insight in, into what they have observed with the Pacers this season. Yeah, I enjoyed that as well. I appreciate it. Um, it was just one of those things. I was like, you know what? Let's. Uh, we talked. I talked to kind of a lot of the same people, uh, especially with the Pacers, every single day and such. Let's get an outside voice. See if they're seeing the same type of things and um more than anything i think of interest to fans is him saying yeah when you have something like this that just clicks that just works i can't imagine you do too much at a trade deadline uh teams seek out what the pacers have right now in terms of team chemistry and so you would you don't really want to disrupt that before we let you go, and again, Scott Agnes with us, Fieldhouse Files, do you make anything or do you think it's any sort of optimism that Tyrese Halliburton was originally listed as questionable late third quarter and then a few minutes later was ruled out? Like, Is that a little bit of a positive that it might not be like serious ligament damage? Uh, I don't look into that too much, only okay. because the previous game, T.J. McConnell went to the back to the locker room and was ruled out or as ruled as questionable with that shoulder injury when after the game Rick was like yeah there's no way he was coming back and then it turns out after further tests it was just kind of a stinger but um so no I I don't look into that um but initially after those injuries they don't know too much in the first first little bit but then of course doctors are doing you know the standard tests um but, but to your point, no, I did not have an initial takeaway from that. The crutches is, is one that suggests swelling and, and maybe more pain, a bone bruise or something um, just off that. And no practice right today, so any update probably comes from a Woj bomb? Uh, tomorrow, or tomorrow before Pacers um, practice. But yeah, to your point, um, Pacers visited New York and for the second straight visit, uh, one of the Pacers sat down with Woj on his podcast. It was Miles last time and Tyrese yesterday. Uh, Pacers, by the way, back in action tomorrow night against Atlanta, and then it is Memphis on Saturday, both games at the Fieldhouse. Uh, Scott, appreciate it. We'll read about it on Fieldhouse Files, all right? Very well. Thanks, guys. All right. We'll get in the Colts conversation coming up in a few with Zach Kiefer from The Athletic. Um Jake, obviously, you know, a lot of attention around Tyrese Halliburton and his left elbow, left knee injury from last night. Um, Outside of that, though, this is kind of a fun back-to-back for the Pacers this weekend. Hawks at home tomorrow night, Grizzlies Saturday night. Uh, The Grizzlies have won eight in a row. And again, if I were making a list of who I would pay to watch in professional sports, I think John Morant would be near, near the top. Totally. And to be fair... Even though the team's not playing very well, Trey Young would be one as well. He's pretty fun yeah, to Yeah, he was out due to illness last night, so we'll see about tomorrow night. And, of course, Memphis has got all the other Indiana ties on their roster. Um, okay, rundown on the Colts head coaching search, where we're at right now. Bubba Ventrone interviewed yesterday. That is the first official interview for the Colts. It is being reported that Giro Averro... That is the defensive coordinator of the Broncos will be interviewing today. Tomorrow on the slate, Raheem Morris, Rams defensive coordinator. Ben Johnson, Lions offensive coordinator. And then Saturday, Shane Steichen, 
Eagles offensive coordinator. May I ask a really dumb question? Sure. I, I think maybe. Excuse me. I said sure always. Thank you. I, I think this might have already taken place. And I'm I'm. I apologize for the absurdity of even asking this, but did Jeff Saturday already have an, like an official interview, or is that just one of those that's kind of like? Yeah, he had eight games. Did you not see him? Yeah, I, I mean, I get it, right? That's my point. Uh, yeah, no, I, I know what you're saying there. Um, I'm under the impression the Colts are announcing when these interviews are, are complete. Right. And so far, they've only announced Bubba Ventrone as complete. So I don't know if there was some sort of process for Saturday within the building of, hey, I, I, I don't know, exit interviews or what? Do they feel like they need to get these guys interviewed right now like in Steichen's case he's got a game next week so you got to interview him right now or you can't interview him once the Eagles start playing playoff games I don't know if there's more of an urgency from the Colts to say well, no one is calling about Jeff Saturday we can probably wait to interview him like let's interview these guys that are being sought after in other places I mean I Steichen, what- Avero, Morris, Johnson all these guys are interviewing in several places Carolina, Houston, Arizona so I think that has more to do with we haven't seen Saturday. I wonder yet. what like a and I'm sure it depends on who's doing it. What a head coaching interview sounds like, you know? Yeah, I'd be like, always curious. About okay, that. it's fourth and three. Would you go for it, or would you? you know, or is it more like so? If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? You know, I mean, like what what sort of questions do they ask there? Well, if Jake was sitting in on interviews, we certainly know that the tree question would be high top. Do you know Indiana State Bird? <laughs> it's the Cardinal. That's a fairly household knowledge. Uh, would you like to it? come to my PVR party? That now that is a very important. But peony uh, that would get some people. That that would. Again, that's a that's not a um, that's a seasonal flower. See, uh, you want to bring Zach Kiefer in? I'm having some headset issues. I'm going to try and regroup with them. What are you doing over there? Your headset's <laughs> falling apart. Your mic stand breaks. You know, it's on a one of the. I, I think basis. we all have been here with cords in our life. You know how you got to get cords. the cord in the right perfect spot to like charge. Do people yeah. wear corduroy anymore? You used to have some corduroy pants I took from my dad. They were yeah, great. Yeah, that was always tricky during Duck, Duck, Goose in kindergarten. Everybody knew who it was if you had on the corduroy pants. Joining us now, I'm sure thrilled to be doing <laughs> so. Don't you remember when you used to play Duck, Duck, Goose or 7-Up? Did you ever play 7-Up? Thumbs and up, 7-Up? Yeah, there was the one person that had to be the secret to go around and tap, and yeah. you knew if it was somebody that was wearing corduroy pants because they'd... Can past. we just get to Zach Kiefer? Okay. Headsets Zach, back on. Zach Kiefer now joins us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. Of course, you can read Zach's work at The Athletic covering the Colts. And, Zach, the year is over, but it seems like things are just starting to, to warm up in terms of the coverage here because now everything gets busy. We were just running down the names of candidates... I guess two-part question for you. The first would be, was there anybody whose name came out that the Colts will interview that surprised you? And is there anybody that you're still waiting for their name to come up because they've been rumored, but we haven't heard anything official? Well, that was a hard pivot, Jake, from from Kruger and from Duck Duck Goose. But sure, well, that's what I do. That's what I do. I, I got a lot of swivel in these the hips. Um. Yeah, a couple of things on that front. Um, I'm not surprised by anybody that they're interviewing that's on their list right now. The name that's not on there is the surprise, Jim Harbaugh, so far. I don't get that, and I've tried to get some information. It's hard to get. I asked Chris Ballard point blank on Tuesday, and he wouldn't discuss the candidates. But I will say this on the coaching search. It's, it's going to take some time, as Ballard mentioned, but 
the vibe I've sort of gotten from people in the building are, okay, if Ballard's going to be back, which he is, let's let him run the coaching search. Let's let him pick the coach. Let's let him draft the quarterback, and let's just see where this goes. But obviously you guys know as well as anybody that's not that simple, and that's not how it's going to go. And and I think one thing I, I, I took away very clearly from Tuesday and from conversations I've had over the last couple of months if indeed that Jeff Saturday gets this full-time head coaching job, it will not be because Chris Ballard recommended him for the job. That's, that's pretty obvious to me. That'll be because Jim Irsay wanted him to stay. And I feel like that just, that just sows more division within the franchise. If it's not the GM picking the coach, doesn't that just kind of leave Chris Ballard in no man's land? Further, further in no man's land where he's been the last couple months. Zach, let's let's focus there for a second. Um, again, Zach Kiefer's with us from the Athletic. You know, if you you talk with us every Thursday, and we greatly appreciate that. Of course, a couple Thursdays ago, I would have put it probably at a coin flip that Jeff Saturday gets his job permanently. I don't think I'm there anymore. I think I've softened a little bit on that. Having said that, Jim Mercy's been wooed before in, in interviews. Chuck Pagano being one of them. That I think would be the way that Jeff Saturday could re-enter. <laughs> this this you know legit legit candidate search yeah i'm with you on that like jeff's good in front of a tv camera he's good in front of us right good in front of players and and that's a real thing but this is really telling and i asked a lot of players this and i asked chris ballard this what did jeff do to make the team better like what did he do well as a coach and in some cases with matt ryan there was a long pause and he and he said something to the effect of He's a good leader. He's a good motivator. He showed up to work every day. I asked a lot of players, and I got similar responses. Now, I will say that Chuck Leonard said he wants Saturday to be the coach. But for the most part, and this was Ballard as well, you know, I think he said Jeff got better. Well, the team didn't get better. Anyone out there watching this, this show the last eight weeks saw that. But you're right, and, and I think Jeff Saturday could be a pretty impressive interview if you just take him at what he's saying. But the reality is this team got horrendously worse over the last eight games. And my sense is the same as yours. What what was maybe a stronger candidate in early December isn't quite as strong right now, even in Ursay's eyes. Now, I'm not speaking for Ursay because nobody knows what he's thinking at this very moment besides him. But the shine has dimmed a little bit on Jeff Saturday. There's just no escaping the fact that this team got worse in so many ways. They weren't competitive down the stretch. And they were historically, I mean, they were historically collapsing week after week. I mean, they they can't just lean on these excuses that everything was Frank's fault and everything that Frank set up was, was, a, was a mess. Like, I'm just not buying that. This was an organizational failure, and there's nothing Jeff Saturday did as a coach to make the team better. Was it an uphill climb? Absolutely, it was bad when he got here. But I just, I just can't buy any tangible reasons why he would be a better candidate than almost anyone else on their list. Zach, I want to circle back to something you, you touched on there about the process of hiring a coach. How common do you believe it is? I mean, I know that, that Jim Irsay hired Tony Dungy, and that was with Bill Polian here, who was, you know, Bill Polian for the most part seemingly had autonomy. But Chris Ballard made no bones about the fact that he will conduct interviews and then make a recommendation but Jim Irsay will make the hire and will make the selection do you believe that's common in the National Football League or do you believe that most franchises whoever is hired to be the president and or general manager would be the one trusted to make that decision 
No, it's not usually like that, Jake. It hasn't usually been like that here. Jim Irsay has always said that he hires his GM to manage the team and he hires his coach to coach the team. And only in very rare situations, hiring Tony Dungy, cutting Peyton Manning, drafting Andrew Luck, did he step in. Now, obviously, no, we, that's changed over the last 12 months. But the reality is the first time Chris Ballard led a coaching search, that was all Chris Ballard. It was Josh McDaniels. That was his pick. It was not Jim Irsay's pick. Now, I don't know if Jim had another pick, but Chris was zeroed in on McDaniels, and Irsay didn't get involved until the second interview when they went out to Boston and and sat down with McDaniels' family. So the second time around, when they landed on Frank Reich, Jim Irsay stepped in and had a little bit more of a say. This is different than they've done it in the past. Ryan Grigson hired Chuck Pagano. Ryan Grigson wanted Chuck Pagano to be his head coach. So... A lot of owners will step back and let the GM pick their coach. A lot of owners don't make football decisions at all. So that's it's 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 a it's a delicate way of doing things. And I think in some instances, like Tony Dungy's hire here, it's absolutely the right move. But over the last couple of years, and I asked Chris Ballard this question point blank on Tuesday, I said, "Has Jim Mercer made decisions that have hurt this franchise?" And I totally understand that that's not something that Chris can answer in front of a camera. And he said no. He said he's passionate. He wants the team to be great. All of these things can be true. But I think anybody looking at this objectively has to say that some of the moves this team has made at the request of the owner have hurt this franchise. But then again, it also helped them get the fourth overall pick. I thought it was interesting, Zach. And I, I, I've said this to others, as you know, that, that sometimes maybe I'm, I'm guilty of overthinking things, but I want you to tell me if I'm guilty of overthinking this. Chris Ballard was asked in the press conference, and it might have been by you, somebody asked the question of like, are you content with the level of voice you have or something along those lines? And he paused and said, I know where you're going with that. Yeah. And when he said, I know where you're going with that, I may be overthinking it. I took that as a Freudian. Yeah, I agree with you. In other words, you don't even need to say what you are insinuating. I know what you're insinuating because I know it's true. That's how I took that. Your thoughts? I think you're I think you're hitting it. Like let's let's think about this. Like for everybody out there that's listening to your show right now that, that watched the press conference in early November when they hired Jeff Saturday. What did Chris What did Chris Ballard's body language and face tell you? He was not on board with that decision. And everything I wrote last Friday in my long story in the Athletic about sort of the chaos behind the scenes of this season was proven right by what Chris Ballard said on Tuesday. He said, "Look, you know, he didn't say he didn't he wasn't on board with the Jeff Saturday decision, but he essentially did by saying I voiced my concern." Chris Ballard has screwed up plenty of things in this city with this team. But he did not hire a TV analyst to come to come coach his team with eight games to go. Like that just did not happen. We know who made that decision, and I think the question was a fair one. And then I asked him again later in that press conference, and this was another telling moment. I said, "Has your desire to be here wavered at all over the last couple of months?" And I'm not saying Ballard is look. He's, his hands are dirty in this. We we don't need to get into that. The roster moves, the decisions, all that. But the fact that he's being usurped by his boss and Jim Mercer is overstepping and essentially making moves that are hurting the team that Ballard built even further, I think it's a completely fair question. And what he did was he paused for three or four seconds, which is an eternity in one of these press conferences, 
and he looked right at me, and he was almost getting emotional. He said, no, I love being here. I don't want to be anywhere else. That's probably true. But I think he's had some tough moments this year, and I think he's had some moments that have made him think because this is not what he signed up for. Any general manager, when you sign up to run a team, you sign up with the understanding that you're going to be running the team. And Ballard, remember, turned down a couple chances to interview, probably at places he would have got the GM job in, in 15 and 16, because he didn't believe in the vision of the owner, and he didn't believe that he would get the time needed to build the right way. Now, he certainly had the time here. I understand that. But I just thought it was another telling moment. And, and like you said, Jake, sometimes you have to see, see things for what the answer is as opposed to listening to what they're saying. Zach Kiefer from The Athletic. He's with us here on the Payless Slickers Hotline. Zach, I thought there were two very different press conferences, Monday from Jeff Saturday, Tuesday from Chris Ballard. In their own different ways, I think they're extremely smooth operators, borderline politician at times, behind the mic. Uh, what did you make of what Saturday had to say on Monday and then Ballard on Tuesday? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Uh, I was talking with JMV about this a couple of days ago. Like On Monday... For the most part, I just heard excuses. Like, that's what I heard from it, just Saturday. Yeah, I was going to say, that heard. was Saturday, just to clarify. Yeah, sorry, uh, Saturday on Monday. It's still confusing when we have to do that, but um, we talked to the coach on Monday. I'll clear it up that way. And, and I heard excuses. I heard it was bad when I got here, and it wasn't going to get any better. And if you give me a chance, if you give me a chance with my own staff, it'll be better, even though there's no evidence to support that. And... That tone has changed a lot with Jeff Saturday over the last couple of weeks. If you guys have noticed, we've heard this line more and more. Well, you're not firing a coach midseason unless it's bad. Like, we didn't hear that in November. We heard, you can judge me on my wins and losses. Well, and now he doesn't want to be judged on his wins and losses because that doesn't feel relevant to him. And, and that's just what I took away from Monday. It, it wasn't a good look for Jeff Saturday. And I don't know what he says in his interview that's going to be really convincing. I just really don't. Um, other than the fact that, and we all know this, Jim Mercer really likes this guy. And I don't know how much the last eight weeks have changed that. But conversely, a day later, Chris Ballard, you can say politician, sure, I'm on board with that a little bit, but there was nothing else for him to do besides sit up there and own this disaster. And it wasn't all on him, that there was bad coaching throughout the year, Earthy stepped in, but a large chunk of it was on the roster that he built and the misses he had and the mistakes he made. And he set up there and he owned it. And I truly believe that he feels awful about how bad it's been. Um, I think that's genuine, and I think he's determined to fix it. And I think there's a lot of people in the building that want him to have the chance to fix it, um, starting with finding that quarterback. But two very different press conferences in terms of accountability. Zach Keeper's our guest. He's on the Payless Liggers Hotline. He writes for The Athletic. Zach, we know, and I don't know whether or not he will end up getting hired there or somewhere else, but we know that Frank Reich has now interviewed in Carolina for the Panthers job. If Frank Reich immediately lands on his feet as a head coach in the National Football League, is that an indictment on what the rest of the league thinks of Chris Ballard or the Colts in general? I think it's an indictment on what the league knows about what happened this season and what's happened over the last couple of years. The league knows. People in this league, the agents, the coaches, the owners, the executives, they know what happened in November here. They know whose call it was to fire Frank Reich and to hire Jeff Saturday. And they also know that, you know, while Frank Reich screwed some things up, you know, starting with the trade for Carson Wentz, 
and the Matt Ryan trade didn't work out either. The dude had four different quarterbacks his first four years and had a top ten offense three times. Now, I'm not Frank Reich's agent. I'm not here to argue for his credentials, but he did a pretty good job amid a whirlwind of a run. And I think if you give the guy stability, then you're going to find out what kind of coach he is. But I think there's a lot of attractive qualities about what Frank Reich can do with an offense if you give him the same quarterback a couple years in a row and a little bit of stability. Because really, at the end of the day, in early, late October, his feet were taken out from under him. He was told to play this quarterback, who he didn't think he was ready, and he would have gone to Nick Foles before Sam Ellinger, but he didn't have that choice. And I don't care if it's the right decision or the wrong decision about who to play. The fact that you're not letting the coach play the quarterback he thinks he should be playing, that's just bad ball. That's just bad football. So trust me, the rest of the league is not naive to that, and it wouldn't stun me if Frank gets the job in Carolina. It feels to me, Zach, like if the Colts want to get somebody who is an established head coach, that probably, and I'm going to put Jeff Saturday in that mix, even though it was interim level, but Harbaugh and Saturday would be their only two options, and I don't even know if Harbaugh is going to be in play, but Harbaugh has a relationship with the franchise. But I don't know which it is, the uncertainty at the quarterback position or the uncertainty of the amount of involvement of the owner that would cause a veteran coach to have pause about Indianapolis. But it feels to me like that's the case. Do you think the Colts job has question marks that are big enough to scare away an established coach? 100%. It's the latter, Jake. It's the latter. It's the second thing you mentioned. It's it's the meddling. It's the it's the worrisome about being able to do their job. And Nick Under, Nick Underhill covers the Saints down in New Orleans, and he reported last night that five teams with an opening, all five, have reached out to Sean Payton about setting up an interview. To date, Sean Payton only has three interviews set up. Let's think about why. Sean Payton has been very, very honest and clear about this the last couple of weeks. What he feels is most important is the ownership, GM, coach, collaboration. And he's not going to go somewhere where he doesn't get to make the decisions on his roster. And for better or for worse, that's how he sees it. And I think, I don't think the first part scares a lot of coaches away, Jake. Not as much as you think. That they're not having a franchise quarterback. Like if you're going to a team that needs a coach, chances are they don't have a great quarterback. Chances are there's some instability at that most important position. And the fact that they have a fourth overall pick helps. And the other thing is, is guys like Jim Harbaugh, and, and I'm and I'm just speculating here, but. These guys don't shy away from challenges. Like, if you're going to Denver, you have a quarterback issue because you have Russell Wilson for God knows how long and God knows how much money, right? That's a quarterback problem it. because yeah. he's terrible. And then secondly, if you go to Indianapolis, you don't have a quarterback, but you also have the means to, to correct that this offseason. So I don't think the roster stuff scares these guys away because they don't think like that. They don't think about failure. They think about how they're going to make it work. But in order to do that, they need to have the chance to do it their way I think that's what scares guys away. And I think that's a very real thing. And I think that's going to be brought up. If I'm a coach interviewing for this Colts job, I'm asking Chris Ballard and Jim Murphy directly, who's making the decisions? And can I play the quarterback I want to play? One thing on Sean Payton, and I have no idea what the Saints are asking for him, but I just don't think the Colts are in a position to trade a first-round pick for a coach. 
Like right. I, I think at four overall, and I get it. You, you, you obviously need a coach, and certainly need a quarterback too. But I don't know. It seems like maybe if you're in Arizona, or if you're at Denver, or if you're these other teams that have some sort of a quarterback potentially that you could go with, I think they're in a better situation right now. I just don't think the Colts can afford to give up that number four pick again. Zach Kiefer from the Athletic. Busy, busy off season underway for the Colts. Interview yesterday with Bubba Ventrone. Sounds like some more coming up today, tomorrow, and Saturday. Zach, thanks for all the stuff or all the uh, weekly segments with us every Thursday, man. Thanks, guys. That was fun.